Well, this morning we bring chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians to a close. As Paul circles back around and deals with this issue of Christian liberty one more time, preparing us to think about Christian worship. He's going to, we heard some talk of the Lord's Supper last week. He's going to circle back to that as we head into chapter 11. But one more time, he brings us back to our eating and to our drinking and to one of the challenges of the church. You know, here we are gathered today, a people who love each other, a small little outpost of the family of God. But we're all oddballs, you know. We're all quirky. We're all angular. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different personalities. We all have different consciences. We all have different gifts, no doubt. We'll get to that in chapter 12. But we also have different weaknesses. We have different priorities. Some of us care deeply about certain things that others of us, it just doesn't even come on the radar. And that could offend us. Why don't you care about that the way I care about that? This is a serious issue. Well, we all have those. This is, this is the nature of life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote about. We are a community. And as such, it's complicated. Right? It's complicated to live together. You, you know this if you've ever had a roommate. Now, marriage, maybe you get over that. But, but, uh, but if you've had a roommate, you know, uh, maybe think back to your college days. It's like it was fun at first. <laughs> and then and then their little quirks got really annoying, um, such as it is when we live together. Things rub us raw. Things challenge us and get in the way of that beautiful and perfect unity. Well, Paul was dealing with this within the church. We have quirks. We have hang-ups. And Paul is helping us think through how we navigate that and helping us think through what are the priorities. Like, how do we, how do we handle this? If we're going to be a united body, where are going to be the things in which we have to really wrestle it to the mat? Are there things, certainly there are, where it might even have to bring division within a group? Certainly on matters of essential truth, it would have to be that. I mean, after all, we're in the PCA. We're no longer in the PCUSA. You know, the, our, we, we split as a denomination away from a church because we believed, I say we, I wasn't really involved, but but we as a denomination, I'm, I'll, I'll own it, I'm, I'm a minister within this denomination, we believed as a denomination that the, the differences there were of such an order that we could not remain united. We, we, had to, we had to break away. You were denying the fundamentals of the faith was the argument. And at that point where we found no ability to reconcile on this issue, at that point it had to bring division. And I say that only to say there can be those things. Christianity does not call merely for a big group hug and just sentimental lovey-doveyness and no attention to things that could potentially divide us. But they better be the most important things. They better be the central things. The things over which the truth of the Christian faith stands or falls. Anything else ought not bring division, but it is almost certain to bring discord. It's almost certain to bring, you know, bumping into each other and bruising each other and annoying each other and wrestling through things and having to learn to forgive and having to learn to be patient and having to learn to be understanding that this person sees this this way and I see it that way. And yet it tends to be those things that do become pebbles in the shoe of a church that they just can't get rid of and leads churches to divide as well. 
It's one thing if we divide over the fundamentals of the faith. We will have to answer for God for that, and I believe we can. We, that's the argument that needs to be made. But shame on us and shame on churches when they divide over the less consequential things. So Paul is wrestling with these, and he's promoting the unity of the church, something that was very important to Paul because it was very important to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as I've shared, I've reminded you and other times, as he is going to the cross, sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is praying for what? The unity of the church. May they be one father. This is John 17. May they be one father as you and I are one. I mean, wow. That's not just a, hey, can they tolerate each other? It's, may they be one as you and I are one. That's a deep uh, embedded unity. And Paul desires that. Paul wants that kind of unity. Well, how do we achieve this? Paul challenges us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, back to the food sacrifice to idols. Using this as a, as, as a, uh, an example, let's just think about all of our other potential disagreements by looking at this one. And again, for those who may not have been here, the issue is in Corinth, the meat markets, for the most part in, in their entirety, would be filled with meat that had come from the pagan temples. Animals were being brought to these pagan temples, sacrifice be, being made, and then the, the leftover meat being sold in the market for a decent price. But this was meat that was being sold, if you will, by the temples. And this created very complicated little ethical questions for the Christians. Do we eat that meat? Now, again, where can we find, we don't have this problem today, but we have other problems today. We have other things. I I remember, I remember, uh, Folks who, I, I've shared this with you before, who would not buy things from Procter & Gamble. You know, because Procter & Gamble gave money to support abortion. And they believed in their conscience they could not. They just would not buy Procter & Gamble products because to buy that was to support a company that supported a great evil. So maybe think, or, you know, in, 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 a, day of, in a day of canceling like we have in our culture, where, where people are worried, uh, either, I shouldn't say worried about, but do not want to associate with a product because it's downstream of, a, of an action that was done by a company or a view held by the CEO of a company. Or, you know, this, I think we can relate to this. At least we can see it in our culture. We can ask maybe, I think where you have to prayerfully consider is where is the application for you in this? But Paul's also going to ask us to be patient with others as well in this because you might not be bothered about it. In fact, you might think it's stupid. Like, why wouldn't you buy toothpaste? Like buying toothpaste, Procter & Gamble, or the, I can't remember what they make, Colgate, I don't know which one they make. But that you, you might think that's ridiculous. It's just toothpaste. You're, you're, not, you're not supporting abortion by buying toothpaste. It's, it's up to Procter & Gamble what they do with their money. But, but you just buy the toothpaste and brush your teeth. That, that, that's a stupid concern. That's not stupid for them. You know, so how? So then, how do I handle that? How how do I handle these things in the relation to one another? So I don't I don't want to get lost in that Corinthian problem two thousand years ago. Hmm, that's an odd specimen of a problem. We've got to think about what it looks like for us today and where these things might apply. But the question was, 
okay, do we buy the meat? Am I am I supporting paganism? Am I, am I supporting idolatry? You told me to flee idolatry. Am I supporting idolatry if I buy the meat? I assume the money's going back to the pagan temple so they can buy more sacrifices. Is the meat itself tainted now? Because you you just told me, Paul, I can't eat at the table of of God and at the table of demons. Am I, if I'm eating this food, am I eating food that's been blessed unto demons? Okay, so these are the complications of this. And again, I love, in this way, I love First Corinthians because it pushes us to ask really like nitty gritty questions about the faith. We tend to let Christianity remain up here in the abstract. It's like a series of beliefs. It's a belief system we have. There's a devotional life we have up here. We come to church. It's kind of disconnected from life. You know, and then we go back and we live life and we kind of live it like our non-believing friends because that's the world we live in. We just do that. Then we come back to our disassociated Christian faith. Not for Paul. Paul says, how do we take this and drive it right down into there, into the daily business of our life where it even comes to our eating and our drinking? Well, Paul lays out some principles for us and the passage to have ringing around the back of our heads here is Romans chapter 14, which Mark read for us as our New Testament reading this morning, because Paul is dealing with the same issue now in Rome as he is here in Corinth. So what does Paul say? First, all things are lawful for me. So again, going back to the business of our rights, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, true, but not all things edify. Now remember, he's told us earlier in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. The fact that you know you can do it, the fact that you've made the theological, you've done the theological work to convince yourself that this thing is okay for you to eat, or you know you can use Procter and Gamble toothpaste. Like you've you've done the you've done the the theological math, and the sum has come out, and it said go ahead and use it. Good for you. You have knowledge. You've thought this out. Wonderful. The problem is that tends to puff us up. I've thought this through. I figured it out, and here's the proper conclusion. That's great. But what we need is that which builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge just tells you you can do something. But what we need to have is love that builds up the other. Paul drives us out of ourselves to our brothers and sisters. All things are lawful for me, true, but not all things edify. And then here comes the command. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So here's the challenge for us this morning and the challenge for us as a church, right? Let us not be about kind of just guarding our own souls, what is good for me, but what edifies my brother and sister, what edifies the other, what edifies the community. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Now, in verses 25 and through 27, Paul here is going to give us a principle about using our Christian liberty. Now, remember, let me just remind you about the principle of Christian liberty. Christian liberty says, if it's not prohibited or commanded in the Bible, you're free to do it. Okay? If it's not commanded, or, you know, free not to do it, according to your own conscience. If the Bible commands it, you are not free. You must do it. If the Bible prohibits it, you are not free. You must not do it. But if you go look in the Bible, that's very few things. I mean, it's big things in terms of like principled things. But 99% of the decisions that you made already today, the Bible says nothing about. The Bible does not give us any direct 
command nor prohibition on 99.9% of the decisions you're going to make. If you decide, should you murder? Go to the Bible. It's in there. Okay. It's in there very clearly. Don't do it. Okay. So next time you're tempted to murder someone, go there. It's in there. Don't do it. Okay. When you're coveting, yeah, don't do it. But where you sit in church and what you decide to wear and what you decide to have for lunch and whether you decide to call someone and say hello or what, I mean, think about the almost infinite number of decisions you're going to make today. Not in the Bible. Which means, how do we do them? How do we make those decisions? And Paul is saying, you are free according to your conscience, assuming that your conscience is bathed in the scriptures. That it is, it, is, it is informed by the scriptures. So here's what he says then. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. So what Paul is saying here is, hey, brothers and sisters, you are free, Okay. Paul is essentially saying there is nothing inherently evil about the meat. And then he expands it out. There is nothing inherently evil. That's a strong thing to say. There is nothing, no thing, physical, material thing that is inherently evil. The earth And all it contains, all its fullness, is the Lord's. It's all his. And he has no evil thing. So you may enjoy it. It's given to you. So when the meat is put before you, ask no questions for conscience sake. You are free to eat it. Now, I just want to encourage you, and we've talked about this in Sunday school, but I just want to encourage you, when you're making a decision about whether you use a toothpaste or whether you eat this food or whether you drink a glass of wine or whether you pick your thing that you're going to do, you should ask yourself, does the Bible say anything directly about this? Secondly, do my authorities, the authorities that I have to answer to, have anything to say about this? Because the Bible, and when I teach this to my students, I remind them that you are under authorities, and the Bible does say we're to honor our authorities. So for them, obviously, it's their parents. They are not absolutely free, just like you are not absolutely free. You live in America. Certain things are illegal. And whether or not in another country you could do that is one thing, but in this country you can't do that. And I tell the children, if you had other parents, maybe they would let you do this thing. But you don't have those parents. You have your parents. And your parents tell you you can't do something, you can't do it. Not because the Bible says it or doesn't say it, but because the Bible says honor your mother and father. And if your mother and father put that line, then even though the thing in and of itself, it might be okay, if your parents say no and they're not forcing you to sin, you you must obey them. And the same is true for us in the state now, if, if the laws of the United States demand something of me or prohibit something of me that causes me to violate my conscience according to the Bible, I have to disobey them. I have to disobey them. I must, for conscience sake, obey God. But if it's not that, if they set the speed limit at 65, but I really want to put the pedal down because I want to get going and I want to, okay, well then, but 
But no, you you need to obey the speed limit. This is kind of a hard thing to say, all right, to to all of us lawbreakers in here, okay? Or whatever the case might be. You might be fine with having a glass of wine, but the state says you can't do it if you're behind the wheel of a car. We have to say, okay. The Bible doesn't say that, but the Bible says honor your governing authorities. So we obey and we say, okay. So... So again, we, we have to think this through. What do my authorities say? But if my authorities, if I kind of check the boxes and on little minor decisions that we have to make, we know our authorities don't care. Nobody told you where you had to sit when you came in here today, and yet you made a decision. You made a decision to sit somewhere, but the authorities didn't tell you where you have to sit. The state didn't care. Your elders don't care. You know. So if our authorities have nothing to say about it, then again, we're free to make a decision. And Paul is liberating you. Paul is liberating you. Eat whatever is sold. He's saying your conscience can be free on this. There's nothing inherently sinful about the meat. There's nothing inherently sinful about the toothpaste. There's nothing inherently sinful about the beer. There's nothing inherently sinful about, go ahead and fill in the blank to the thing that maybe your conscience struggles with. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Paul says to Timothy, all that created, all that God created is good and to be enjoyed by man with thanksgiving. So that's our default. We are free. So if the non-believer invites you to do it, go ahead. Don't, you're, you're not sinning. You're not, you're not ruining your testimony because you're eating meat. The idols are nothing. You're eating meat. If they ask you to do it, do it. Now, Here's a little qualifier, and we have to jump to the end of the text. And it's not even really the point Paul's making, but we can steal from this point to clarify the point I'm making right now. That is, you are free to enjoy the created things of God. However, two little qualifiers here going over to verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of? So he's going to come back to a person who's like, hey, why are you doing that? And he's going to deal with that in a second. But notice the qualifier. I partake with thanks. And then secondly, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So when you are going to use this toothpaste or when you're going to have that beer or when you are going to eat this meat or whatever thing you're going to do, you have to ask, am I, can I do this with thanksgiving? Secondly, can I do this to the glory of God? And if the answer to either one of those is no, then don't do it. Not because the thing is bad, but because you cannot do it in a way that's not sinning. Because to do it in a way that is not sinning is to do it unto the glory of God. If you don't think you can drink a beer to the glory of God, don't drink the beer. If you don't think you can use the tooth, if you think using that toothpaste is causing you to sin, don't use it. And don't feel guilty about that. Your conscience is convicted on it. Take that from the Lord. This takes us back to what Mark read in Romans chapter 14. Though a thing is not wrong, if you think it's wrong, it's wrong for you. And this isn't like some kind of subjective relativism. It's called conscience. And the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life that he's not doing. You and I are at different places in our life. You and I have different weaknesses. You and I have different struggles. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you on something, be convicted about it. And listen to that. 
So if you don't think you should eat meat, don't eat meat. If you don't think you should use Colgate, don't use Colgate. Because the question is, do I believe in my conscience I can do this to the glory of God? Now, here we don't get into it in this text, but this is why the Romans 14 text is so important. Because here's where it gets dicey. You and I might disagree on this. You might think you can't drink beer to the glory of God. I might think I can. Now, how do we handle each other? And what tends to happen in churches is the person who kind of feels a little more restrictive on this starts judging the person who doesn't feel restricted about it. The person who thinks, no, I cannot do this to the glory of God does not think you should be able to do it to the glory of God either. And if you're doing it, you must be sinning or you must not be taking your faith seriously or you must not care as much as you should care. That's the kind of judgmentalism that starts to fester within a church. And Paul forbids it in Romans 14. Do not judge another man's servant. We are not going to have to answer to each other in glory. We are going to have to answer to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And each man will have to stand or fall on his own. And Paul says, praise God, we will stand because he will make us stand. So be careful holding each other to the peculiarities of our own sensitive consciences. Your conscience is sensitive on something? Praise God. Listen to it. And if you don't think you should drink a glass of wine, do not drink the glass of wine. But be careful before you start saying to your brother or sister drinking a glass of wine, I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing having a glass of wine? I thought you were a Christian. I saw Colgate in your bathroom as I was at your house having dinner. I thought you were a Christian. Why are we eating this meat? Be careful from that perspective not to judge a brother or sister. It's very important that we have mature thoughts on this so that we recognize our weaknesses for what they are and honor them because they're of the Lord, but whose theology is strong enough that we can let someone else not struggle with that weakness and not hold them with with judgment. That's how you have a healthy body. We recognize we're just at different places. Now, if you see me sinning, if you see me drinking the beer and getting drunk, it's time to say something to me because that is forbidden in the Bible. And now I'm doing something that's forbidden. And now you should speak up. Now you should come. It would be wrong for you not to say something now because now I am sinning. Not according to this person's conscience or that person's conscience, but according to the word of God. And then it would be right to come and say, hey, Bill, what's going on here? I think you've, had, you've been having too much to drink. It's not that the drinking is bad. It's the drunkenness that's bad and you're taking it to a sinful place. And that would be good and right to do. So this is a balance that we have to maintain. So in our own Christian lives, what what you and I need to think is we are free. What an amazing, beautiful thing Christian liberty is. You are free to enjoy the bounty of God's created order. It's all gift to you. Go and enjoy it with thanksgiving and to the glory of God. And if you don't think you can glorify God in this thing, hold back until you think you can. That's the safe thing to do. If you think watching this movie is going to cause you to sin, if you think hanging out, for my high schoolers, I always have to remind them, if you think hanging out with this friend causes you to sin, don't do it. Not because you think he's evil. You just you know it's going to cause you to sin. You're going to start gossiping every time you get around this person. Get away. Get away. 
What's causing, I can't hang out with this friend to the glory of God. I can't watch this TV show to the glory of God. I can't have an iPhone to the glory of God. I can't, what is it? But if you can, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Tears is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. But in our text, Paul adds one more wrinkle. And as I've said before, I think it's the hardest wrinkle of all. And that is the wrinkle of caring about you and you caring about me. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience. sake. Like you're free. Go ahead and eat it. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. A, a non-believer offers you a beer, drink it. Glass of wine, have it. You don't have to worry about all my testimony. Go ahead and do it. If any of those who do not believe, do it. No question for conscience sake, but... 28. If anyone says to you, wait, that was offered to idols, wasn't it? Do not eat it. He senses in the question, uh-oh, we've got a person with a sensitive conscience here. I'm with another Christian who's like, hey, wait a second. Was that meat sacrificed to idols? And he he perceives in the question a weak conscience. Now, he calls this the weak conscience. In, in, in Romans 14, the person who has the sensitivities is not the strong person who really takes this stuff seriously. Paul actually calls that person the weak person whose conscience is overly sensitive on something for a reason the Lord is doing in them. Don't feel guilty of being the weak person. We're all the weak person, a weak brother in one area or another. But just know it's a, it's a weak, we have a problem. We have something that needs to hold us back. It's a weakness, not a strength. That When you see it as a strength, you're a Pharisee. Pharisees saw this over-restrictiveness as a strength, okay? Don't view your particular sensitivities as strengths. View them as glorious weaknesses. And I say that glorious weaknesses because I'm not mocking them. I'm not belittling them. They're the weaknesses, the thorn in your flesh that God has given you. Honor that, respect that, take that seriously, but know it's a weakness, not a strength. So Paul senses in the question, hey, wait, isn't that sacrifice to idols? A weak brother. So if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it. Not because all of a sudden it became evil, but because I've got a brother I got to care about now. Now all of a sudden I've got a, I've got a little sensitivity here, right? Do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. That is, this food is not yours. Now he just used that verse to say, it's all the Lord's and he offers it to you, enjoy it. Now he says, don't eat it. You know why? Because it's not yours. It's the Lord's. And therefore, you need to think about how you handle this food. Right? We, we don't just we don't rip it out of the Lord's hands and go, thank you, now it's all ours. No, 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 it's still the Lord's. And therefore, we must be careful on how we partake of it and how we enjoy it. And if my eating is going to do damage to a weak brother, Paul says, don't do it. Because it's not yours, it's the Lord's. And that person is the Lord's. And therefore, you have to manage this situation caring for what is the Lord's. Conscience, I say, not your own, but of the other. But he asked, but why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? If I'm free to drink the beer, why, why do I have to not be able to enjoy it? Because that guy doesn't like it. If you've just told me the meat is okay, why do I have to be restricted? Because that guy's got a problem. Let him deal with it. But not for Paul. 
But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. So here, here's what Paul's saying. Remember, let's go back. To, let's rewind now to the question where you're going to have this glass of wine or you're going to use the Colgate toothpaste or you know, whatever you're going to do. And you've got to ask a question of yourself. For little things, we don't. when you sat in your chair, you made it. It was a decision you made. You were free. You made a decision without giving it probably even a second thought. But then there are decisions in our life which get more and more important. Now, probably be worth thinking, is it good for me to sit here? Is it not good for me to sit there? You know, those kinds of questions. We could take them through this. But as questions get more significant, we have to give them more attention and thought. So maybe you're not sure about the, the glass of wine, and so you think about it. And you say, yes, you know, I think I can do this with Thanksgiving. I think I can do this unto the glory of God. But now Paul adds in the next wrinkle, which is, but wait a second. You cannot do it to the glory of God if in your doing it, you are causing a brother to sin. That is, the question as to whether or not I can do it to the glory of God does not end with me. Like, okay, will it cause me to sin? Am I going to become a drunkard if I have this? Or am I, whatever. Another question I have to ask is, what effect will this have on my brother? Because if I am destroying my brother, then no, you cannot do it to the glory of God. And therefore, you ought not do it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the two things we have to think about, and these are challenging because it means I need to know you to the best of my ability. I have to know you and I have to care about you. I have to love you. And love is sacrificial. And the two things I have to think about with you are these. Number one, will this thing cause you to sin? Am I leading you down a path to violate your conscience? Right? Ah, come on. Come on, let's do it. You know, the classic high school peer pressure stuff. But it can happen on the adult level as well. Am I, am I causing you to sin? And then secondly, am I offending you? Now, this can get... Jesus offended people intentionally sometimes. So you got to know who you're offending. You know, Jesus was not afraid to offend the Pharisee. The person who's constantly, again, viewing their weakness as a strength and poking the finger, Jesus was delighted in offending that person to silence them, weaken them, silence them, humble them, right? But the bruised reed, he would not. Like the bruised reed, he would not break. And a person who is struggling with something, the person who's wrestling in their conscience, in as much as you know that they are, Paul is saying, do not give offense to that person. So the person who is weak in their conscience should not judge the stronger brother. You have a weakness in your conscience on something, let's take the alcohol, and you're invited over and they have a glass of wine, or you happen to come into a restaurant and you see one of your brothers and sisters having a glass of wine and you know it's a weakness for you, but you know there's no one in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not drink alcohol. Hey, handle that with charity. Do not assume. I thought they were Christians. What are they doing having wine? And start judging them. But at the same time, the strong, put that in air quotes, look with mercy 
and tenderness to the brother who's weak in as much as you are able. The person comes in the restaurant, you couldn't have anticipated them coming in. But you invite that person over to your house, then we can, you know, hey, what do you want, iced tea? I'm going to have a glass of wine. There's no need to do that. Why would you do that? Be sensitive to a brother. There's no need to offend a brother and bring a wound to the relationship of the church. Don't do that. Sure, you have a right, a right, air quotes, to drink the wine because the earth is the, full, the, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's nothing evil in the wine and you know it. But you have a responsibility to love your brother or sister. And therefore, you withhold on the right in order to meet the responsibility and love your brother or sister. This is really challenging. But this is life together. Now, praise God, within this little group, there's very little. I, I, I've, I've known zero disunity in the 20 plus years I've been here. It's an amazing group. But of course, we don't live together. You know, we, we visit each other on Sundays and we all scurry home. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We will, we will live together. And in that day, we'll be perfected. But, but the more that we're together, the more that the church is together, the more that we're around each other. And it doesn't just apply to this local body, by the way. This is, a, this, is a, this is for the body, the body of Christ, the church. As we think about this, we all have Christian friends outside of this community. We have to think about this. So Paul is challenging us here to apply the Christian life right down to the most basic fundamental things. Verse 31, whether you eat or drink, we must do it to the glory of God. And I love that he does that because he does not pick big Christian things, you know whether you be a missionary or whether you be an evangelist. You know, you know, whether you eat or drink, we all do that. And we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, every action captive to the obedience of Christ. And if that means withholding from eating the meat, do it with joy and gladness. The day will come when we will feast together in the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to. Paul says, I'll gladly let it go for the sake of my brother. And may the Lord cultivate that within us. For as Paul said to, uh, to the Philippians, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he had every right, he was equal to God, in form, very form God, did not grasp onto his privilege, but emptied himself of that privilege, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee might bow and every tongue could you can let it go now. You can sacrifice knowing that the day will come when you will be blessed beyond measure. So sacrifice now in the light of what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess our self-centeredness. We confess our claim on our rights. Good things, all our rights are good. We thank you for them. We thank you for the liberty that you have given us through Jesus Christ that because he has achieved our righteousness, we are free now to live for your glory in all things. So we pray that you would help us learn how to eat and drink for your glory, how to have friendships for your glory, how to interact with others in the workplace for your glory, how to be entertained to your glory. Father, all these little minute decisions that we make in our lives, may we do them according to the consciences that you've given to us, weak or strong, on any issue. May we do this also for the love of our brothers and sisters, that we might be a full body 
united together for your glory. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.